turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Last week we talked about the first words of Jesus after he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus' first words from the cross were words about forgiveness. I think it's profound that while Jesus was dying on the cross, at the hands of other people, forgiveness was on his mind. So I'm so excited this morning to be starting this new series we're calling Portraits of Forgiveness. What we're going to do the next four four weeks is we're going to look at pictures of forgiveness from the Bible. We're going to see how God has used forgiveness to take some of the worst circumstances and make them beautiful. You know, there really is no more relevant topic to the human race than forgiveness. That's true because there's no one who doesn't need it. There's no one in the room who hasn't done something wrong. And there's no one who doesn't need to give it because there's no one in the room who hasn't had something wrong done to them. It is part of the human experience. Now, in this series, Portraits of Forgiveness, we're going to be looking at four pictures in the Scripture. Now, this is Hannah, our resident artist. She has joined us this morning, and each week she's going to be painting a portrait from Scripture that shows us how God can take something bad and make something beautiful out of it. Now, a really interesting part here is Hannah's not just painting on canvas. Last Sunday morning when we were here, I asked everyone at Easter service, if you would, write down a sin that you want God to forgive you for, wad it up and throw it in the air. We took those pieces of paper with our sins written on them, we fused them to this canvas, and she is painting this portrait over our sins. So at the end of each service, at the end of this series, we're going to see how God will make something beautiful out of even the worst things that we've done and that were done to us. So I want you to lock in with me on this journey. It's going to be, it's going to be a powerful and amazing time. Let me give you the backstory, the portrait we're looking at this morning before we read it. King David had served, or at that time David, had served King Saul and became best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. But David became more and more popular, and his popularity grew, and his reputation grew, and as his victories grew, King Saul began to be jealous and spent the better part of 20 years hunting David like an animal and trying to kill him because of his insecurity and his jealousy. David and his family suffered for all those years, 20 years, David and his family suffered without lifting a finger against Saul. Saul had become disloyal to David. He had lied about him. He treated him like a criminal. So you can imagine, even though David said, I won't touch the Lord's anointed, I'm not going to act, react, defend, attack. I'm not going to uh, respond to this attack. Even though that was David's stance, you can see how in these two camps animosity and anger and hatred might have arisen. Not might have, arose. And uh, sort of like the Hatfields and the McCoys if you're from the Appalachian area. These two families rose to really, really, really dislike each other. When Saul and his sons finally died in battle, including David's son, Jonathan, the crown of Israel passed by popular demand to David. David accepted the crown, he consolidated his power, and he began his incredible 40-year reign over Israel. 
As soon as he was declared king, David did what all kings do. He got rid of all his enemies. If you were in Saul's camp while Saul was alive, and now Saul's dead and David's in charge, guess what? As, as the Robertson family would say, you gone. He cleaned house. It was the logical thing to do. But here's where the problem begins. There was one of King Saul's grandsons, a man named Mephibosheth. Just try that. Yes. Mephibosheth. He survived. He happened to be Jonathan's son, which was Saul's grandson, which logically posed a threat to David's dynasty. Conventional wisdom said, get rid of any threat. Uh, David's advisors said, kill Saul's grandson. His family has done much worse to you and your family for 20 years. They deserve it. Now here's where we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 9, verse 3. The king asked, this is David speaking, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba, everybody needs a friend named Ziba. Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Maker, son of Emil and Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Maker, son of Emil, when Mephibosheth, try to get these right this morning, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Now that is a, that is a phenomenal story of forgiveness. David chose to forgive the lone surviving relative of the family that had pursued and hunted, disrespected, acted in great violence and intention against David. And, and, and it showed his kindness to Jonathan's son. Now this portrait of forgiveness shows us God's heart about forgiveness and it'll help us forgive even the deepest hurts in our life. Now here's the question. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, grab something to write with. Uh, we're going to go fast. How did David forgive 20 years of violence and hatred? How did David forgive 20 years of violence and hatred? Here's the first thing. We must see forgiveness as an opportunity. Despite the hurt Saul's family had caused, 
Now, as I said, Saul's family caused a lot of suffering to David for 20 years. That begs a question. Are there things too painful to forgive? Are there unforgivable offenses a person can do against us? I mean, you can just roll a newsreel through your mind and think of all the things. The attack on 9-11. I mean, let's go big this morning. The Holocaust. Six million Jews died. The Fort Hood massacre. A drunk driver who kills a family member. Uh, a pedophile, Hitler, Bin Laden, Judas. Think about the worst of the worst of the worst. Are there offenses too great that they move into a different category and they're ap- actually unforgivable? According to psychologists, once we start drawing lines to limit forgiveness, it becomes a slippery slope where we draw more lines and more lines and more lines and the amount of things that we'll forgive becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. The unforgiveness lines keep moving until we just become bitter. That's why people that you know, that's why the seasons of your life, if you've ever lived in bitterness, when you look back on them, they were very small. We shrink when we don't forgive. We become small when we don't forgive. And the unforgiveness line just keeps moving. So basically, there are two options in this life. We forgive all, or we live with shrinking lines of forgiveness. That's really the only two options we have. But David saw forgiveness as an opportunity despite what Saul's family had done. He saw forgiveness as an opportunity despite the right he had to not forgive. Now, now think about this with me for a second. Hurts are deep, they're in your face, they're personal, and, and sometimes we hold on to not the offense, sometimes we hold on to the right not to forgive. We're holding on to the right to hold on because we're afraid to let go. And we have that right. And sometimes we can even find legal justification for it. But having the right and being right are two different things. Forgiveness is the opportunity to lay down our right to not hold a grudge, to not get revenge, and to not be bitter. Now David saw forgiveness as an opportunity despite what Saul's family had done despite his right to hold on, and in spite of the risk that it brings. Sometimes I don't think we're honest about the risk that we put ourselves at when we forgive. It's a very risky thing. But, But let me explain for a minute what forgiveness does not mean, because sometimes we paint it with such a broad stroke, we think forgiveness means risking all. That's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness does not mean making an excuse for what happened. It it doesn't mean that what happened was right. It it doesn't mean agreeing with what happened. It doesn't mean tolerating what happened. It doesn't mean covering it up. And it doesn't even mean allowing it to ever happen again. That's not what forgiveness means. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it's still risky. Why is it risky? After you've forgiven, it may come back to hurt you again. In marriage, we have to deal with this all the time. Right? Right? In the closest and most personal relationship on earth, we have to deal with forgiveness 
all the time we have to deal with our intention and our heart to forgive and our willingness to forgive and the risk that we put back into the relationship again when we do forgive. We have to deal with it or otherwise we just become strangers fighting a private war at home. There's risk in forgiveness, but it beats bitterness by a mile. Now here's the second thought. We must understand the power of forgiveness. How do you, how do you realize how powerful something is? One way is to notice the difference it makes when it's missing. How do you measure how powerful something? We see the power of forgiveness when it's not there. After 20 years of running from Saul, David knew firsthand that the harsh cycle of unforgiveness cost too much. David saw the damage that it had done in Saul's life and his own nation. David saw how powerful forgiveness was by looking at an example of what it did when it was gone. Think of the damage. Unforgiveness destroys relationships. Unforgiveness destroys families. It destroys marriages. It destroys, it stunts the emotional growth of children who see it. Unforgiveness causes harm to the body. Ulcers and high blood pressure and heart problems and bone deterioration and stress and anxiety will just make you old early. Unforgiveness makes you selfish and bitter. The cost of unforgiveness was just too much. You can see it. You can see the power of it when it's missing. You can also see the power of it when it's present. David also knew he had been forgiven of a lot. He had received. This is the man who, who uh, stole another man's wife and sent her husband into battle to die. He knew what forgiveness had done in his life. It had set him free. He knew the power of forgiveness because he had received it. Now I want you to think this morning for a minute about the people that you know in your family or maybe friends of yours who've refused to forgive. Think, or maybe said another way, think about bitter people that you've known. Or think about seasons of your life that you lived in bitterness or in anger or in unforgiveness. Think of the damage that it causes across a lifetime. Think of the uh, loneliness. Think of the frustration. Think of the fears that are given root to. Think of the years that are lost because forgiveness is held. Think of the things then, on the other hand, that God, and by the way, other people have forgiven you for. There's nobody in this room that hasn't had somebody forgive you of something. Isn't that great joy? Isn't it incredible when somebody says, don't think another thing about it. You and I, we're okay. You're free. Isn't that, isn't that liberating? Here's the last, the last way that David forgave a 20-year gigantic wound. And this really is what it always comes down to. We must make the choice to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. Now, <laughs> let me back up for a minute. That's not in any way to say that it's easy. It's not an easy choice. Forgiveness chooses to look beyond the pain, beyond the offense, beyond the outside. Now watch this. 
and see a person who's been created in God's image who is yet still imperfect and broken. It's out of our own brokenness that we hurt each other. And to acknowledge that the person who hurt you is a person created in God's image who's not yet perfect, who probably out of their own brokenness hurt you. To come to terms with that and say, I'm, I'm not perfect either, and I forgive. That is not an easy choice. And it's not always an instant choice. It takes time. It takes grace. It takes the power of God. It takes the renewing of the mind. It takes a lot of things It's not easy. Forgiveness is also not a feeling. It, I guarantee you, if the offense is worth remembering, everybody know what category I'm talking about? Then it'll be a fight. I don't mean between you and the person. That might have already happened. I mean inside you. Between the two people you are. The one you want to be and the one you are. It'll be a fight. The urge to hold a grudge will feel stronger than the decision to forgive, but it's not stronger. You can choose to forgive, and you may have to make that choice over and over and over and over and over. You may have to make that choice a lot of times. You have to make that choice a lot of times before you make it. You may have to make that choice a lot of times to talk yourself into making it. You ever, you ever know the right thing to do, but it wasn't, it didn't take one decision or one step. You had to re-decide the same thing over and 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 over. That's how forgiveness can be when the offense is really painful. It can have to be rehearsed and decided. But if you make the choice over and over and over, you will break through. You know, let me tell you how you know you're breaking through. You're breaking through when your desires for the person who has wounded you start to change. When you can authentically begin to wish well. When you can authentically begin to want good for that person. You're starting to break through. Because when we're offended, when we're wounded, when we're hurt, regardless of what level it is, our mind immediately gravitates toward like a lightning rod. I want them to get what I got. Right? Anybody but me? I want them to get what I got. Let's see how they like it. Anybody? Let's see how they like it when. Boy, I tell you what would be incredible is if this and this and this and this and this and this happened to them. Now let's see if they're happy. Now let's see if they can just act like everything's okay. I wish they knew how I feel. What is all of that talk? They need to feel what I feel. They need to pay for what they did. I wish the same pain on me, on them. But you're starting to break through in forgiveness when you say, I want good things in their life. What they did to me was wrong, and I'm not hiding from that. And depending on the offense, I'm going to position myself in a way where it's, it's highly unlikely to be repeated. However, I, I want 
good things for their life. God has a plan for them, and He wants them to move on and to grow and to heal and to move out of that place that they're in and to be forgiven. And I want that. I sincerely want that. There's usually nobody to tell that to. Usually it's just inside yourself in the mirror that you have to come to those terms. But when you find yourself getting there, then, then you know you're starting to break through. Forgiveness is happening. Now, forgiveness isn't easy. It's not a feeling. It's also not conditional. Maybe you're in one of those um, circumstances where the person never asked. I mean, what do you do? I've been waiting to forgive. I mean, I've been waiting for them to ask. I mean, I called and I texted and I emailed and I hung around. I invited them over to the house. I invited them to the party. I invited them to the family reunion. I mean, I hung. I mean, I just stayed after 15 minutes waiting, waiting for them. I see you. I waited. I gave them a chance. I gave them every opportunity if they wanted to talk about it. Forgiveness isn't conditional. It, 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 it doesn't depend on those things. What if, the, what if you wait like a long time and they never ask? What do you do? How do you, how do you deal with that? What, what, what if the person continues to do the same thing? Let me put it in modern vernacular. What if they're still a jerk? What are you going to do about that? Forgiveness doesn't say, I'll forgive you if. That's called manipulation. That's a contract. That's, I'll give you this if you give me that. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is, I let go. Let me, let me uh, maybe a few of these words will just stick in your heart. Let me give you what I've come to understand is, uh, it's the most meaningful definition of forgiveness to me. And, and maybe it'll, it'll affect you that way. Here's what forgiveness means, because forgiveness can become so ethereal and so theoretical that it's this ghost in the air that we release. Like, what is, like what's a step I can do? What's, like, okay, i got to forgive. Is it a feeling I wait for? What, what is forgiveness? Here's what I think forgiveness is. Forgiveness means that you don't owe me anything. You, you ever have that feeling that somebody's in debt to you? Why? Because they wronged you? Oh, I mean, after all that I've done. I mean, after I, can you believe after what I did? And I, they did that to me, and I didn't even say anything. Well, you might as well have, because you've been holding over their head for ten years. I didn't even say anything. No, but you expected something. Right? And forgiveness is, I release my expectation. You don't owe me anything. Forgiveness says you don't owe me anything emotionally. You don't owe me anything physically. You don't owe me anything relationally. Forgiveness means that we are equals. You are not in my debt. I release you from anything that I ever thought you owed me. You are not in my debt and I let you go. I give up. On punishment, I give up on revenge, I give up on repayment, I release it. And I let it go. I caught a story uh, back in March. 
I think it was written uh, maybe in the New York Times. A columnist wrote and interviewed a young lady named Ashley Burke. Her story's so phenomenal. I'm just going to read a little bit of the way he wrote it in such a powerful way. I want to read a little bit of her story to you. In the early hours of March 12, 2011, Ashley Burke of Meridian, Idaho, walked into her closet and pleaded with God. Slowly, despite the ice-cold shock of the night and the floods of anger and grief, she felt peace wash over her. Then in that quiet closet, she was greeted by heavenly, loving whispers. Be still, she heard. How could she? Moments earlier, Ashley Burke learned from detectives she'd just become a 28-year-old widow. It will be hard, the whisper said. But you have to keep moving forward. You have to have faith for a brighter day. Faith? Earlier that evening, her husband, Emmett Corrigan, had been shot in a Walgreens parking lot in Meridian, Idaho. You're not alone, the whisper continued. You've been watched over. There was no dispute. Her husband had been shot and killed by Robert Hall, an angry man that would later be found guilty of second-degree murder. But Ashley continued to hear, be still. The whisper persisted, breathe. You're an incredible mother. A mother, yes. The newly initiated widow had five children waiting on her to explain where their daddy was to recover, to raise, and to help heal. You are still you, the voice said. Why was the killer so angry? Because Ashley's husband had cheated with his wife. And so the husband of the woman in the affair, if you can follow this, with Ashley's husband, sought revenge. Their confrontation had not ended in apologies and confessions. It ended with gunshots and screams. Find forgiveness and peace, Burke heard, still on her knees. Peace. Moments earlier, she had just heard that her husband was not only dead, he was also cheating on her. Shot by the lover's spouse. Listen to this. As she was in the closet praying, she heard these words. This is the time to find beauty around you. The small voice pressed on. I will carry you when it gets unbearable, but I need you to stand. And she did stand. The interviewer asked her, where does this kind of willingness come from? Listen to Ashley's answer. She confided that it hadn't always been easy. After three years of struggle, after remarrying a wonderful man and working hard to blend their families, her painful memories and lessons learned were known only to her closest family and friends. She was asked what she learned from the pain of betrayal and loss. Her response the interviewer said, made me want to stand too. I've discovered that just like the Savior's pain brings hope, my own pain can bring hope too. The man who killed her husband was sentenced to 30 years. But Ashley was quick to go on the record to say, he needs to be forgiven too. She said, I've discovered that forgiveness is not just a checkbox. It's not a perfect process. 
She shared openly about her anger and denial and deep desire for an apology from three people who heard her beyond description, she says, but those apologies will never come. On her road to forgiveness, she's written many letters to the woman who her husband was cheating with, but she never sent them. Every one of us can have our lives shattered, but with the Lord near us, we'll all be all right. Without Him, here's the phrase I want you to hang on, without Him we'll break, but with Him we'll break through. Wow. So the interviewer asked her, and this is a picture of her, would you sum, if you could sum it all up, how would you sum it up? She said, no one can avoid the dark days just when you think you've been hit with all the hard things, when you think you're finally done, you're not. Until we're with Him again, living in His presence, life will test and refine us again and again and again. Here's the last thought this morning as the worship team comes about forgiveness. It's not an option. For every Christ-following believer, you can look, as we go through this series, we'll see, the New Testament is chalked, filled with instructions for us about how forgiveness is not an option for a believer. Now, the benefits of forgiving are unlimited. But they're also not an option for us who follow Jesus. Now I want to ask you a question because that sounds that sounds heavy-handed and authoritarian and strong and strict and narrow and legalistic and all of that. And our, our culture would love us to believe that that forced forgiveness is so hard and harsh and unmerciful. Why would God require us to forgive because it's the only way to be free it's his love that causes us to forgive according to this portrait of Mephibosheth he was crippled he couldn't walk and he lived in the land named Lodabar. Do you remember we read that? He lived in the land named Lodabar. Do you know what Lodabar means? It means no sound. It means no word. It means empty. He had been banished to a place of emptiness. He was lame. There was no way to escape. What a picture of unforgiveness. No sound. Empty. Colorless. No joy. Void. Limited. God's not harsh when He requires forgiveness. He longs for our freedom. He longs for our joy. He longs for us to be free. But David's choice to forgive Saul's family brought that crippled man to a place he could never reach on his own to spend the rest of his life eating at the king's table like one of his own sons. Isn't that a phenomenal portrait of forgiveness? Forgiveness brought a crippled man from an empty place to the king's table. Can I tell you? Forgiveness. Go ahead. Isn't that incredible? Forgiveness. We'll do the same thing for you.
I don't know how to quantify this. My guess is, my guess, there's somewhere between 50 to 100 people in this room this morning that you either need forgiveness impossible to live. You're going to offend each other. I'm going to offend you. You're going to offend me. Because none of us are Jesus. And Jesus offended people because they were broke. <laughs> he wasn't. It's impossible. But with God, He can take the bad stuff and if you'll let Him, He can make it so I'm going to ask you to stand and I want our prayer team to come. And the picture that Hannah's painted this morning, you can see there's, there's the king's table and there's a crippled man sitting at the end of the table that has no right to be there. Isn't that something? Man, I've been praying this morning that today God would touch your heart receive forgiveness and you would forgive and you would walk in forgiveness and that I would too it's the life of freedom would you close your eyes with me this morning I'm going uh, to ask our staff if you'd come to help us with prayer this morning today I'm, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to draw this out you're in a place that you need forgiveness or you're in a place where you need to forgive and you're ready to do that here's all I'm asking you to do all I'm asking you to do is respond our pastors, our, some of our staff our prayer team are here and all we want to do is pray with you we don't, we're not going to have you fill out anything, you're not becoming a member you're not joining this church. You're not signing up for nothing. You're not taking a step of anything except a step toward being forgiven or forgiving. That's all you're doing. And so this morning, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I just want you to take a step and let our prayer team pray with you. And you can just simply say this. I need forgiveness. Or I need to forgive somebody. That's all you have to say. But I'm telling you, that step of, of forgiveness will start you, continue you down on the road of freedom and joy and liberty. And as we talked about this morning, it is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not a mood. It's not a moment. It is a choice. And so this morning, if you're ready to make that choice, every eye closed. I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to wait to see what's going to happen. This is between you and God. You say, I just want to make a choice to forgive or be forgiven. Lord, this morning, I thank you for the power of God to heal, to forgive, to free. 
I thank you that your, your concern, your focus, in the things that you instruct us in Scripture, they're not for our harm, they are for our good. They're not for bondage, they're not for legalism, they're not for religion. They are that we might be free. We might live free in relationship. And this morning, Lord, we take a step. We take a step today of faith, believing that you're going to forgive. With nobody looking around, if that's you, I just want you to step out from where you are. With nobody looking around, the worship team's going to begin to sing. Go ahead and lead us, guys. I want you to take a step now.